As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and tonight I'm joined by Joe Lowry to discuss the USA's 1-0 win over El Salvador in World Cup qualifying. Joe, it wasn't the prettiest game, but it was three points. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Taylor. Man, three points is absolutely the key here. And to be honest, I think this is both where we kind of are right now. I thought that was a pretty good performance. The XG loved the U.S. in this game. They had chances. Yeah. It's unfortunate that they didn't get another pass El Salvador to do a little late game rotation and, and get some of the big guys on the bench. But still, like not a bad game at all from the U.S. I think I think it's better than a lot of folks out there are giving them credit for. Yeah, that does seem to be the case that I, I tried to stay off Twitter as much as possible, not because I don't like Twitter, but because it tends to bias me one way or the other. It makes me think, oh, I haven't seen that. I wasn't paying attention to that. But watching it after the or reading it after the game, it does feel like there was much more negativity, especially at halftime, maybe a little bit more positivity at the end of full time. For me, I, I understand where that's coming from. And we're going to get into why there may have been some negative reaction to this one, why moments of this game weren't as entertaining as others. But yep. overall... If we're giving this one a letter grade, I had it as a solid B, and maybe that's even being slightly harsh, just because I think there were large chunks when it was kind of rough and kind of back and forth. Again, we're going to talk about why, but I think, as you said, the XG was good. I saw some really good positional rotation and movement. I saw some great individual performances, some good individual performances, and some fine individual performances. So overall, Joe, I'm giving it a B, and I'm feeling fairly positive about that. I think I'm at like a B plus or an A minus, to be honest, Taylor. And and part of that is because I guess the fickle nature of soccer. If we think back to that first half, the big moment and really the the big talking point for the lineup and all of those things is Jesus Ferreira. And and the sequence I'm talking about in particular is the one he doesn't finish after Tim Weah flicks it over to him near the back post in El Salvador's box. And he he decides to shoot with the outside of his right instead of his left. And he, he hits the ball off the target. If that goes in, don't you think we're all talking about this as an A, yeah. right? I mean, that's that's just how this game works. And so I'm trying, in a sense, to look past 
the box score, which is kind of a fool's errand, but also I think has real value because we've already talked about it in just these couple minutes. The U.S. did create some real chances here, and they did put real pressure on El Salvador. I just think if that goes in or if there's one or one or two other moments, if Anthony Robinson's second shot in those couple of minutes in the second half, yeah. he scores the goal, and then, and then he has that right-footed shot. If that goes in, I mean, there's so many things that, that were really close to coming together that I think are positive building blocks for the U.S. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting at a B-plus or an A-minus on this one. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's all fair analysis. And I would add to it that if it were a 1-0 win and they maybe should have gotten more but didn't, and then El Salvador had a few that were like really, really, really close. And Christian, or excuse me, Alex Roldan uh, would be awkward if it were the other way around. <laughs> Alex Roldan has the shot of the first half on the counter that goes just wide. Aside from that, there aren't a ton of threatening chances in my mind from El Salvador. Yeah, And so I think when you look at it from the U.S kept the clean sheet, and kind of did what they've been doing in World Cup qualifying so far. Uh, I think this brings it to, in the first half, two goals for throughout World Cup qualifying. In the second half, 10 goals for uh, nine shots in the first half, 22 in the second. They do seem to be a second-half team, and I like to believe that is because they're making adjustments. Joe, you mentioned the XG uh, being pretty solid for them. I think it was like right around three, a little bit under that. For you, like a, a a kind of stats question to to begin, is that like that can be sort of explained away as oh they should have scored three goals but they only got one. It was not a very strong performance. The other way of seeing that, to my mind, is they maybe got a little bit unlucky, but they were creating consistent chances. And on a on a better night, a more favorable night, yeah, Ferrer gets a better touch to that one. Maybe he uses his opposite foot and puts that one in. Maybe the the shot from Robinson does go in, and suddenly it's 3-0. So you could see it as they massively underperformed. You could see it also as they still created, and XG means next game, if they create that many, it's more likely they're going to score at least a couple. Yeah, that, that second explanation, Taylor, is exactly where I am on this. Is it frustrating? I mean, I kind of led with this, right? Is it yeah. frustrating that the U.S. don't put another one into the back of the net and, and get some minutes off of guys like Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and, and Dest and A-Rob? Like, absolutely, right? You want that second goal. You need something like that, especially in these three-game windows. That would have been ideal. It doesn't happen, though, and, but it's more of a positive, the expected goals and the chances that the U.S. create. I mean, why would you not want these chances, right? You want the ball in the back of the net, but I think at the end of the Day, you're pretty happy if you're Greg Berhalter. And I'm sure he'll cite this on the U.S. Soccer Podcast with Bobby Warshaw, right? He likes to talk about XG on that show. And I think there's good reasons for that. You know, if the U.S. continue to create chances at this level against teams like El Salvador and against teams like Honduras, and maybe they equate that against teams like Canada in the, in the middle game of this window, I think that's only going to be a good thing for the U.S. So a mixed bag, of course, there, right? You, you don't equal your XG. That means there are shots that you would have liked to hit the back of the net that didn't. But that's always the case. So overall, Taylor... Yeah, I'm in that second camp of thinking, man, this is this is a decent sign for the U.S. All right, so you were at a B plus slash A minus. I was at a B. Let's see how. Let's try to remember this and uh, see how we end up at the end of this conversation. Uh, but we've got a ways to go before we get to that, Joe. Right now, let's talk about the teams as they came out, the lineups that we saw uh, for the United States. It was 11 players, Joe, uh, not surprisingly there. Nice, One of them was nice. a goalkeeper. I'm going very basic <laughs> now. A uh, couple of absences worth noting. Zach Steffen is not with the team. He's listed as day-to-day, getting treatment in Manchester. DeAndre Yedlin, I believe, arrived today, or the tweet I saw was, is arriving today. That may have been yesterday uh, due to some weather issues in Istanbul, so he's getting in late. That's why he wasn't involved today. Maybe that's not the only reason, but that is a reason. Uh, that aside, Joe, the, the major name that we were expecting to see and did not end up seeing was Ricardo Pepe. How surprised were you to see Jesus Ferreira in the lineup? 
I was surprised, but not shocked. And this goes back to a conversation that you, Graham, and I had earlier this week and, and conversations that we've had and other people have had on this show in the past. There just d- doesn't feel like there's much separating Ricardo Pepe from Jossie yep. Zardes, from Jesus Ferreira, from Daryl DK. I mean, well, I guess a, a hamstring injury is what's separating Daryl DK from some of these other guys. But you get the idea, right? It, there's not this giant gap between players. Ricardo Pepe just made his move, hasn't scored in something like 600 minutes for club or country He's not in great form right now, and we've talked about that on this show again. So there, there's those factors that really don't make this an incredibly surprising decision. The, the interesting note here for me on Ferreira getting the start is less about his name and more about what he brings in terms of his on-field style. And Baralter talked about this in the in the pregame. So he mentioned this to Sam Borden, I believe, on the ESPN broadcast crew when talked about picking Ferreira as that nine over somebody like Pepe. The quote's this. In this game, we're expecting to play into our forward a lot, use him as a point to draw their defenders out, and Jesus does a good job of that. Ricardo Pepe's been good for us, and I'm sure we're going to see him in this window. Today, we chose for Jesus. So, I mean, I think it's it's pretty clear. Berhalter wanted to use Ferreira to drop in a little bit to connect, and we saw that play out in this game. I don't know that a lot of those sequences had a direct impact necessarily on the, the box score, but you can always understand that rationale of wanting to add a little bit of extra quality between the lines. And, and Ferreira does bring that. Absolutely. But I think there's been a strong reaction, and the but is not to you, Joe. But there's been there seems to have been a strong reaction about this. And a lot of it seems to have been kind of assuming that this means Ferreira's going to start the next game. It is now the first choice striker. Hmm. To your point, Joe, I think it's much tighter. And I don't think that's the case. I do think Ferreira had probably a pretty strong camp. Berhalter wanted to reward him. Uh, Ricardo Pepe coming into camp later than Ferreira's been there, obviously, because Ferreira's had the two weeks. And so I'm not surprised that it's Ferreira in this game, but it gives Pepe some time just to gel with the squad a bit more, get up to speed with what they're doing. And then my guess would still be that Pepe starts against Canada. If he doesn't, I still don't think it's a massive issue. But I I think overall I was surprised. But when I saw it was Ferreira, I was still pretty pumped. If it had been someone else entirely, I would have been a little bit more confused. Like, no disrespect, but if Jordan Morris were starting centrally, that would have been a head-scratcher because that feels like a complete roll of the dice versus a player that we've seen play in this position for Greg Berhalter before, for the U.S. before, and has had strong performances in the past. So, to see him here, I was pretty okay with it, and I was pretty okay with the rest of the lineup as well. It's more or less what we predicted. Uh, Joe, I believe you had Chris Richards starting, right? I did. I wanted to see Richards. I didn't really think we would. I thought Baralter would stick with that Zimmerman and Miles Robinson pairing. He doesn't, and I can I can think of a few reasons for that. One, Richards is a little bit more comfortable on the ball than either one of those two guys, although I don't think we saw much of that tonight, to be totally honest with you, Taylor. Dude, I'm so glad you said that. Sorry for interrupting. No, that's fine. I have in my notes... Chris Richards played this game, right? I have no notes about him, like positive or negative. And in the rewatch, even trying to pay attention to him, it was like, oh, yeah, there he is. Oh, yeah, that was fine. Like it was just very it was a center back performance against a team that weren't attacking very much in that he completed a lot of passes. Not a ton of them were aggressive or or forward. He didn't carry it forward a lot, but I think he did exactly the job that Burhalter wanted him to do. It was just very quiet overall. Very, very quiet. And honestly, I picked out a couple poor moments from Richards, certainly more of those than I picked out positive moments from him. He has, a, I think, a lack of defensive awareness in the 12th minute on that far sideline. Let's the ball bounce over his head when the U.S. is pressing and trying to win the ball back on that left side. He does have a couple players in his vicinity, so that might not all be on him. But there's that moment, and then an over-dribble in the, uh, over-dribble, excuse me, in the 27th minute, then loses the ball in a really bad spot. But Richards, setting that aside, Richards does get the start in this game. He's in season, which I think is a big advantage for him over someone like Miles Robinson. 
Wilson. So that's a little bit of a surprise, but again, I don't know that there's a ton separating him from those other center backs that are in this camp, maybe outside of Mark McKenzie. It's Matt Turner in goal. It's it's Zimmerman and Chris Richards in the middle of that back line at center back. Dest on the right, Anthony Robinson on the left. That makes a lot of sense. The midfield three is that MMA trio of Adams at the six, and then McKenney and Musa as those two eights. And then the front line, we talked about Ferreira as the nine. And the wingers, I don't want to say they picked themselves, but Wea is able to go in this one. He starts on the right after just getting back over the last week or two with Lille in France, rehabbing from a, from a quad injury. So he's starting on the right, and Christian Pulisic starts on the left. It's a pretty logical lineup. It, it does really pick itself for the most part. When, when Zach Steffen's not available, Turner's very clearly the number one. The center back, we talked about some of the disparity there, but really there's not that much issue with any one of those guys. And then the nine spot, that's, that's kind of it at this point, Taylor. Yep. Did you have any issues with this lineup? I have a hard time thinking many people had many issues no. with this at all. I mean, I think there was some consternation about it being Ferreira over Pepe, yeah, yeah. but I think for reasons we've already discussed, why that would have been the case, but also why we're not on board for that one. I was honestly more surprised by El Salvador and their lineup, because uh, I, I, I'm guessing you were less surprised than I was, because I did think they would be slightly more defensive at least to start, and then they would try to play some proactive soccer, go out to the United States and make the U.S. uncomfortable. Uh, and... With that in mind, I thought maybe we'd see a 4-4-2 or something more defensive. Uh, what I saw instead was a 4-3-3, and I saw El Salvador being fairly aggressive, at least in, at times in terms of when they were pressing, when they were trying to make the U.S. uncomfortable. They were, I think, crowding the middle and forcing the United States out wide, and that definitely seemed to be part of their game plan. So some of the personnel I, I, I was surprised by, but uh, I, I think overall, uh, Hugo Perez got pretty much everything right for this one. They came to play. Man, they, they, they came to play more than I thought they were going to in this game, Taylor. I saw that 4-3-3 at times. I saw 4-2-3-1 at times. Either way, it was a pretty narrow defensive shape like you're talking about. And they got forward, right? They, they were yeah. willing to step into the U.S.'s half, especially early on, and try to draw their line of confrontation midway into that half. They were being aggressive without the ball, and they were certainly aggressive with the ball. Man, in the first five or ten minutes of this game... They had, I didn't look, and I should have, I mean, it felt like they had more possession. It felt like they had more of the ball, and they created more early danger in those first five, six, seven minutes than the U.S. did. They have a couple sequences, I believe, in the sixth minute on the U.S.'s left, their right side, where they catch Richards and, and Anthony Robinson and Eunice Musa out a little bit, and they expose a lack of defensive communication between those players. They're on it from nearly the start of this game. You're absolutely right, Taylor. Hugo Perez goes for this thing, and the numbers don't really end up in their favor at all. They get out XG'd by a mile, and they don't have that many attacking chances. But there are some strong pillars of their defensive game plan forcing the U.S. out wide, which was a real theme of this game. The U.S. put in a lot of crosses, more than, I think, all but one of their World Cup qualifiers so far. They put in a lot of crosses. The U.S. did. El Salvador really forced them into those wide spaces. And then El Salvador came to play. There's this period in the second half where they're really marching the ball down the U.S.'s throats and not creating many clear-cut chances at all defensively that the U.S. I thought was good in this game in those moments. But, man, they, they had some nice sequences in this game, and I think they deserve a lot of credit for that stuff. No arguments here, my friend. I, I really I found them pretty pretty compelling from like the way they set up, but then not backing down from challenges. Happy to get into that. We'll talk about some of those uh, fouls later on, because I think that does tell at least part of the story for this game. Joe, anything else from lineups from basic approaches to begin with before we move into the story of the first half? Nothing else in particular. I assume we'll get into some of the, the additional tactical elements, especially from the U.S. as we go through this thing, Taylor. So yeah, take it away. All right, I will take it away by taking us to break. We're going to hear from some sponsors, and then we will return. 
This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, Joe Lowry, I teased it. Let's get into it. Let's talk about that first half. Halftime, it's nil-nil. And I think my overall takeaways were that I thought it was a pretty good half. I wanted to see the United States sort of adjust what they were doing, be a bit stronger in the second half, be a bit more aggressive with committing numbers, or at the very least, keeping possession in the final third. But aside from that, it felt like it was a pretty strong uh, performance from the United States in the first half, but just also sort of frustrating. Uh, is that about where you were for the first half? It is. And it's it's weird, Taylor, because I'm trying to think about it, And I was trying to think about as we were watching and then rewatching why that is, right? It felt like there were a lot of good things going on, but also this this unfulfilling side of the game as well. And it feels like you felt that. I'm guessing a lot of listeners out there felt the same thing. There was good stuff happening. And so I want to quickly detail a few of those good things. So right off the bat, the U.S. in this game, they're stepping high up the field. They're not all the way up in El Salvador's faces inside the box or inside the, the 18. But we're seeing this 4-3-3, 4-4-2 diamond press that's really become a hallmark of the Greg Peralta era since 2020, right? Since the beginning of that year where Jesus Ferreira started as the 9 in that January camp friendly against Costa Rica. That was the shift to that 4-3-3, 4-4-2 diamond press that we've seen almost ever since then. So that was, that was there in the beginning of this game. The U.S. was being aggressive, and that's great. I I like the way they started this game defensively. And with the ball, I thought they started well too, Taylor. They were looking for these quick combinations. There's the second-minute sequence right at the beginning of the second minute. So Gino Dest and Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney are playing really ping, 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 these passing sequences on the right side of the field. And they they get the ball into Tim Weah on the right side as that right winger, and he draws a foul in the second minute. The tempo is high. The U.S. is moving the ball quickly. Fast forward a little bit, and they switch the point of attack really well. Yunus Musa has this switch over to Dest in the 19th minute. That then is the, the I think that's the second Ferreira miss, the, the really bad one in the 19th minute, where he doesn't get the ball on frame after the way F flick. There's good sequences happening here. There's good moments. But then the question for me is, okay, well, why isn't this quite as satisfying as I want it to be and a lot of other folks seemingly want it to be? I think a lot mm-hmm. of that has to do with where the game was played. Taylor, if you think about... At least that's one of the factors. If you think about where the, the game was being <laughs> you mean played <laughs> here, <laughs> yeah. it was happening on the wings, right? Uh-huh. The game was taking place on the wings. Yes, McKenney and Musa and Adams were involved, but they were pretty deep. Musa was dropping deep left. Uh, McKenney was dropping deep right sometimes and then pushing up pretty high. And Adams was dropping in between the center backs or to the right of the center backs. It felt a little disjointed in midfield. And between that and El Salvador really playing with a narrow defensive shape, they were funneling the ball at wide. The U.S. was playing with the ball at wide and putting in these crosses. And some of them were working, like on that Ferreira sequence. There's there's good moments there. A-Rob has a couple of nice crosses. Des does the same way again. But it wasn't quite this consistent, dominant performance happening in the central areas of the park. And again, there's there's different components behind that. The U.S. and El Salvador are contributing to that, I think. But I think that's why it felt a little bit disjointed mm-hmm. and not quite as fulfilling as maybe the stats made it seem like when you look at the numbers after the game. Yeah, I'm going to be 
somewhat negative for the next couple of minutes, but I want to start by being fairly positive because I do think that this, if you see it as a building block for the final two games of this round, it, it feels to me like this could be a very strong foundation for the next two games if they're able to tighten some things up or figure some things out or just close a few of the gaps because I'm with you that I thought they were they were very good moments, but I think there were also moments when things broke down more readily than I would like, and I've got a couple ideas as to why. I want to start with that idea, Joe, of them having to attack from out wide the United States, and I don't think that is necessarily like an issue unto itself, you can make that work, especially if you're able to like hit that big switch to one side, then you play that ball back in when the defense is trying to transition over and you can catch them out. And even on some set pieces, I think the U.S. was able to find some open opportunities. Weston McKinney has one that he probably should have at least put on frame, but he heads over. But I think the larger issue was that there were times for me when the United States would have the ball wide, especially Anthony Robinson. I saw this at least three times in the first 20 minutes, I believe, is that he would try to ping that ball into the box for someone to get on the end of. But regularly, because uh, Jesus Ferrer was dropping a little bit deeper to try to link up play or just kind of be that outlet, it meant that you regularly only had two runners into the box. That got Mm -hmm. a little bit better in the second half, but for the most part, you only had a couple guys making those runs with the midfield probably 30 yards behind. And and so it felt like when the U.S. did try to go direct in those moments, they didn't have the numbers, but then simultaneously when they would slow down and try to wait for everyone to join, that let El Salvador sort of get their shape, get their defensive presence where they needed it to be, and then they could sort of just clog the middle and force the U.S. out wide, and then those crosses when they come in, even if there are numbers, there are equal or greater numbers for El Salvador, and they're able to make a play. The idea of the U.S. having these sequences where the ball is out wide and not enough activity in the box, I think was a theme that played almost all throughout this game. And I, I say that as someone who's still pretty positive on this performance. The U.S. got the chances they needed to really extend the lead in this game, and that just never happened. That's soccer, right? That's, that's how this goes sometimes. But there's a whole litany of moments here where the U.S. have the ball in those spaces, and there's not enough decisiveness in the box. I tweeted about this once. There's a moment where Ferreira is a little bit indecisive in the 25th minute as Tim Weah crosses the ball on the right. There's a static, a really static movement in the box from the U.S. in the 34th minute when Weston McKinney has the ball on the right side. 40th minute, lack of options in the box, which is exactly what you're hitting at, Taylor. 47th minute, 50th minute. I just stopped after a while mm-hmm. because I, yeah. I got tired of doing this. But there's these sequence, <laughs> it, it's such a small thing, and it's small margins, and the crosses are coming in quick. Waya especially hits a lot of those crosses where he doesn't even really look up. He, he, he probably just glances up and has a rough idea of, of who's yeah. where inside the box, but he hits the ball so quick, he almost slaps his right foot at it from that right wing. And that's part of what makes him so dangerous is he can get those crosses off. And, and he had a couple blocked in this game, sure, but he's generally pretty good, in my mind, at getting the ball in the box. But there's not a lot of time to make those runs, but still, I mean, if you're Ferreira, if you're Christian Pulisic, man, Taylor Tolman, I thought a good point on the broadcast, 40th minute, 41st, 42nd, somewhere in that range, Ferreira drops in, and this is another thing you mentioned, Taylor, Ferreira drops in and, and weighs on the ball on the right side in behind, and there's really no one yep. crashing the six, right? Christian mm-hmm. Pulisic is trailing, but he's not really on his horse to get in that space. Ferreira is a little too far behind the play. I'm not sure he reacts quite quick, quickly enough. There's too many of these moments, and instead of you know 3xG in this game, instead of one goal, both of those numbers feel like they could have been even higher if the U.S. had been a little bit more direct and purposeful and, and really thoughtful in some of their movement inside the 18. Yeah, because the, the chances they do get in that first half, a lot of them 
are with Ferreira making the runs, being aggressive, and them having numbers committed to the attack. Uh, I, there's the Ferreira layoff for Pulisic. That shot is kind of half-blocked, but it's a really good moment where he bodies somebody, holds it up, then plays it across. Pulisic gets the shot, but nothing comes of it. Obviously, there's the Ferreira miss, where he goes with the right foot instead of the left. And if that were Jordan Morris, I would be heavily criticizing Jordan Morris. So I feel like I do have to... Uh, take a few points off of Ferreira's overall performance. But even there, there are at least three U.S. players in, like, attacking positions in the box. And I think there was a fourth, like, just entering the top of the box as well. So there, you've got numbers in there and something happens. It's a great little flick from uh, Timothy Weah to create even more uncertainty. And it, it's a it's a sort of double-edged sword because when you have Ferreira dropping in, he is pulling players out of position or at the very least is, is if he's not, then he's finding space to get the ball and either lay it off quickly and then they can transition or he can turn and drive forward. But when he was dropping in, laying it off, like, and I would see sometimes he would lay it off to McKinney, McKinney would play it down the line for Dest and then Dest would look for that cross or Dest would find way, way would look for the cross. And as you said, Joe, then we have kind of nobody, uh, being able to be in the box to to meet that one because they've transitioned so quickly into attack. So I, I felt like that was definitely part of it. But a thing that you mentioned earlier, uh, Chris Richards with the over dribble, I saw a lot of that as well. I saw a lot of the U.S. It almost felt like the briefing had been, they're going to be defensive El Salvador. They're going to be compact. So anytime you have space that you can attack attack it. And so the U.S. would try to do that. I saw moments when they did it successfully, but I saw a lot of moments. Tyler Adams has one. Dest has a few. Pulisic certainly has a few. Anthony Robinson, Weston McKinney, Chris Richards, as you mentioned, when it was just a heavier touch than it needed to be, or a sloppier touch, or or, or just a little bit out in front, and it led to a 50-50. And even if the U.S. won it, or won a throw-in off of it, or won a corner off of it, that touch killed a potential attacking moment, and then sometimes allowed El Salvador to counter. So I think there was also some individual rustiness or some individual just sloppiness when there was that attempt to carry the ball forward uh, 1v1 that I think also held back the U.S. from having a lot of joy in front of goal. The worst offender, I thought, in that regard, Taylor, was Christian Pulisic. And and I don't want to... Yeah. At a certain point, it becomes useless to continue this, you know, this harping on Christian Pulisic because we've talked about this before and it, it continues to be a theme. It feels like whenever he's playing for the U.S. right now, and I think there's data to back this up, He's pretty ineffective on that left side. He holds onto the ball for too long. There's Again, this is another I stopped counting situation, but fourth minute, a bunch of times in and around the box, the 49th minute, there's so many of these sequences where he's all on the ball or even deeper in in the midfield, right? Where he's getting on the ball and things are just taking too long. That was a big issue, I thought, for the U.S. in this game. Yeah. And it, you know, it, it all turned out fine, right? Again, all of this turned out fine. The three points are huge here and the U.S. got what they needed out of this game. But it felt like the margins could have been even wider if Pulisic had been a little quicker in his thinking and a little more active in his movement, Taylor. Because, again, to go back to that sequence that Twelman highlighted on the broadcast, that 40th minute, he's trailing behind the play. I think that happens too often in this game. Either he's lackluster with his actions on the ball and things are taking too long there, or he's taking too long to process what's happening around him before making those movements. You know, there's there's this pass map that's floating around Twitter. Paul Carr tweeted one out from True Media, and Matt Doyle tweeted one out from MLSsoccer.com. Pretty sure it's the same data provider, just different graphics. I mean, different uh, aesthetics on the graphic. But if you look at it after the first half, you can go and find this on Twitter. Christian Pulisic is deeper and more central than Tim Weah as those two wingers. Weah, you could clearly see this in the U.S.'s game plan, was direct. He was purposeful. He was moving in behind. Were all of his crosses great in this game? No, absolutely not. But but I think he was the U.S.'s most dangerous force, especially because he brought that added element of verticality in behind the back line. 
yeah, it's a Baralter buzzword, but you need that kind of stuff. And Christian Pulisic didn't bring the aggressive vertical off-ball movement. He also didn't bring a lot of creativity and effective dribbling on the ball. And oh, boy. At, at a certain point, one of those – I mean, just get one of those things. If you're not going to get both of them, get at least one. And I don't think we saw either one of those things from Pulisic in this game. Yeah, Joe, I've got some numbers for you. He was 17 for 17 passing, so that's good. And 16 <laughs> of those 17 were in uh, El Salvador's half. And that was, I think, Ferreira only had like 11 passes. Uh, I think Wea had around like 15 or 16. I, I can't quite remember. But so Pulisic was okay in that regard. But the two numbers that pretty massively stood out, 2 for 15 when it came to duels and dispossessed nine times yeah, Christian Pulisic. Yeah. I did not check, but I'm going to say he was dispossessed the most of anybody on the team. And it, it was an, another kind of strange performance for him. And it, and it left me wondering, like, if he does need Gio Reyna fully fit, because maybe he needs someone to just remind him that like his place isn't automatic. Brendan Aronson came in and, and looked fine, but I don't think, like, like showed that he was next level or should be sure. moved above Christian Pulisic in the depth chart. But it, it I don't know. I can't tell if it's just maybe, like, it's that star player mentality when if he's got the ball around the top of the 18, everyone just kind of expects him to shoot or make something happen, and so people just sort of switch off. I Like, I, I rewatched and tried to pay attention to why he wasn't having more success when when it came to like individual dribbles, when it came to passing combinations, when it came to shooting opportunities. And it felt, yeah, to your point, Joe, that it was just a little bit slow, it was a little bit indecisive, and it felt like he was kind of having to make different decisions or that the attack would vary in a way that he wasn't quite comfortable with and he was struggling to sort of know, okay, now is the time to do this versus now is the time to hold it up or, or play that pass through. And so in the end, I think it was a pretty poor performance from him overall. Agree. And I think the stage was set for him actually to have a pretty big impact in that first half. Agree. If you think about his positioning, he was central, right? There were moments where he was popping up as a left-sided number eight, and Musa was rotating all the way back wide and deep to play as a left back or or to be be, be the one providing width on that left side. Pulisic had the freedom to, to really take this game And he did maybe too much. Maybe that's part of the problem. He's just not finding the balance right now of providing value with that off-ball movement and still bringing balance with his work on the ball. It was... It was tough. There's these sequences where he's in these central spaces in a position to impact the game. There's a couple of good moments. Sure, there's a moment in the first half where he and Weston McKinney combine. There's some moments where Pulisic plays the ball out wide to Robinson. But for every one of those, it feels like there's a miscommunication or a mispass. Tim Weah getting a little bit upset with Christian Pulisic when he doesn't play the outlet ball earlier on. And then I think he ends up playing the ball out wide to Robinson. So he, he does make the pass forward. But I would argue it's not the right pass and it's not coming at the right time. There's another sequence where he's tucked inside in that central position, which is a, a fine spot for Christian Pulisic to be in. It's mm-hmm. the 32nd minute, and the ball comes in from Walker Zimmerman on the floor. One of the few line-breaking passes from a U.S. center back in this game. The ball comes in on the floor, and Christian Pulisic, he doesn't really dummy the ball, but he just kind of rolls off like he's expecting Ferreira to be in that space. Mm-hmm. But Ferreira either didn't didn't continue to check to the ball. I can't, I can't remember. I need to go back and rewatch the sequence. But it essentially ends with neither one of them coming to the ball. And you can see there, wow, these guys haven't spent much time playing together before. Yeah, there's the 10-minute spell yeah, at the end yeah, of the Mexico exactly. game. But there's not that cohesiveness. And, and so you add that to the list of problems for Pulisic in this game. Yeah, he was central, and yeah, he was kind of in positions to impact this game, but none of those things happened. And I would argue, Taylor, that in the second half, he doesn't... He's still central, but he doesn't force mm-hmm. Musa to be quite as wide. Musa gets involved a little bit more, has some of those highlight plays where he's on the ball driving forward. And the U.S. do end up looking a little bit more cohesive in the first 15, 20 minutes of that second half. 
I agree. And we're going to talk a little bit about the second half, some of the adjustments that were made. But Joe, like, uh, thank you, because that that is exactly what I what, what I'm getting at is that there was like, like making it uh, like a made up example. But I think you'll understand what I'm getting at. Like in that moment when he he goes for the dummy and Ferreira hasn't made that run, it's as though the next time they did it, Pulisic wouldn't make that dummy, but Ferreira would make that run. And then it would be like, all right, we've got this. Next time we're going to figure it out. And then it would be he does the dummy, Ferreira doesn't sure, make the run. Sure. And it just felt like it kept not connecting at the end. There were even moments when he would play forward and Ferreira would like sort of get it, but his back was to goal. And I think just one more pass, one more overlapping run, not even from Pulisic, but from other players around them, I think makes that difference. And that's where I say to go back to the beginning of this, it does feel like if that gets tighter, if the press is just a little bit more coordinated, if the numbers are more aggressive getting forward, I, I think you do see more goals. I think there are more runs off the ball that lead to more shooting opportunities or more sort of shots that are saved for that rebound that gets knocked in. And I think if that they kind of learn from it, they get that chemistry going, they get some of those combinations going, I think we'll see stronger results. At least that's my hope. Uh, but we did end up getting a goal, thankfully, Joe. Uh, we're going to talk about that and many more things after one more quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Joe, let's talk about the second half. And I think I'm going to start with a bit of a disclaimer that my assumption at full time before the rewatch was... U.S. was doing okay in the first half. There were a few things that weren't weren't working. They tightened it up. They tinkered a little bit. They made a few little adjustments, and they ended up getting the results. And then they were sort of content to play slow to kill the game off. Watching it again, I'm less convinced that they did that much different from the first half to the second half. Joe, where are you on that one? I I agree with you, Taylor. There's that little positional tweak that I think we we mentioned in the last segment where Musa's a little bit higher and a little more central, and I think that was good. Gets active. I'd be curious to see the touch breakdown for first half, second half, either in location or in in frequency for Musa. I'm sure that's out there somewhere. I'll have to go in and look at it. But that was a tweak I noticed, but... I mean, I didn't see a whole lot that was hugely different from the first 45 to the second 45. You wouldn't think about the goal, and I don't want to get too far ahead of us here, but that sequence comes from Tim Weah making a direct run in behind. And if there was one pattern in the first half that was really threatening and threatening for El Salvador and effective for the U.S., or at least had the potential to be effective and result in the goal in the first half, it was that exact run from Tim Weah breaking in behind and someone playing him the ball over the top or on the floor, you know, in behind that back line. So, yeah, I'd argue that theme was pretty similar in the second half and the positioning was tweaked, but not entirely different. 
Yeah, the only other thing that I, I feel like I saw in the second half that was maybe an adjustment, uh, and for, sorry if you're a Christian Pulisic fan, if you're family of Christian Pulisic, <laughs> you're not going to love us continuing to talk about this, but uh, Joe, when you were saying he was like central or tucked inside in the first half, I didn't have any issue with that either, because with Ferreira dropping deeper, the idea, in my mind at least, is that you still have numbers high up, you still have numbers central, but then it kind of clears out the touchline in case you do want to attack down the channel and you have aggressive fullback play to make that happen. What I really didn't enjoy, though, was as the first half went on, I saw Pulisic going deeper and deeper and deeper. And to yeah. your point, that meant Musa had to go wide. But yep. it sometimes meant like like uh, that Pulisic was almost like a third center back when he was on the ball. And and I think the goal there would have been to, for him to get on the ball in some space and also ideally pull some defenders with him or make El Salvador just like track him too much and open up space for other people. But that wasn't really happening. And so if anything, it just meant he was getting the ball when they already had uh, like teammates around him who then had to move to other areas and it sort of disrupted things. I feel like I saw less of that in the second half. It seemed like he did a better job of staying at least a little bit further forward. I agree with you. I think Musa did the same. I think McKenney was almost like a a number 10 at times as the second half went on. It, like There were moments when it looked more like a 4-2-3-1 to me with Weston McKinney pretty advanced and then Yudas Musa would occasionally join him. And so I liked those little adjustments. Fundamentally, though, it's... A sort of the goal is a great uh, direct over the top ball from West McKinney. It's maybe some. It's like half fortunate, lucky dribbling, half skillful dribbling that allows <laughs> Waya to eventually get the shot off. Like I don't. I think he's trying to get a touch on it when the ball is initially played in, but he sort of doesn't. But that actually plays into what he's trying right, to do because right. he like almost dummies it, but then continues his run really aggressively, gets the shot off. Uh, it's a good shot. It's a good save and. Another difference here would be that there are significant numbers in the box when that shot happens, such that when when it's rebounded, uh, it's a great sort of uh, win from Jesus Ferreira. Not that he's heavily contested, just that he recognizes there is open space, and rather than have that panic, like, oh, I'm going to try to put a header on frame, and there's no way he's getting enough power to make this a threatening header. Instead, it's a cushioned header out wide for Anthony Robinson to uh, hit pretty confidently into the back of the net. I think he calls off Christian Pulisic as well to make sure that he ends up getting that shot off. But I thought it was sort of more of what we saw in the first half in the second, just executed a little bit better with more aggressive numbers in the box. Yeah, I've got I've got two things on this goal. Actually, three. The first thing is to agree with you, Taylor, on the, the movement in the box and the, the number of bodies there. That's important on this goal. And the U.S. had that in some other sequences, but it really paid off here. And I think there was a nice variety and purpose to the, to the, the, to the different movement and runners in the box. That's, that's a great thing. That's thing number one. Thing number two. Anthony Robinson's Robinson's celebration here is hilarious. (laughs) It's so funny. So he's got the backflip, and he always does the backflip. And then after the backflip, he starts limping and grabbing his hamstring and his leg as if he's just pulled his hammy. And then he goes right from the fake hammy pull, as we learn in a split second later. He goes right from that into a strut. And I burst out laughing watching the sequence. It is so funny. Waki is going to have an absolute field day with this, and I just cannot (laughs) wait. So there's that. That's thing number two. And thing number three is exactly what I mentioned before. Tim Weah's vertical movement in behind was so key in Mm -hmm. this game. And Taylor, the reason I I laughed, I I think I did, my brain's kind of mushy at this point, but I laughed when you're talking about Tim Weah almost bumbling his way through. That almost feels like his game. He's incredibly skillful, but I think back to that goal he scored against Jamaica away, where the U.S. has that mediocre 1-1 draw in Jamaica. You know, he's got a ton of bodies that he's trying to dribble through and he somehow, like just somehow, he somehow makes it happen and gets through those spaces. 
He feels like one of those players to me, and Musa is kind of another one that's so athletic and has such quick feet and good balance. Weah and Musa do it completely differently, but they're so skillful on the ball that you back them to make it through a moment like that. And I don't. Maybe the numbers don't bear that out at all. Maybe I'm, I'm spewing complete nonsense. I'm very no, open I'm to that you. being the case. But there's been a few sequences in World Cup qualifying. Those two really come to mind: Jamaica and this one. Or way up somehow manages to make it through a crowd, and I think he's a real asset in some of those spaces. So a great shot from Tim Way again, good composure from Ferreira. You already highlighted that, and a heck of a finish from Anthony Robinson, only to be surpassed by a celebration. Taylor, <laughs> uh, with, with Way, one more thing on the goal. Uh, like, like I think everything we're talking about makes me feel like there are attackers who will try something, and if it doesn't come off, or if they take a heavy touch, you'll see them sort of like throw their hands up and throw their head back, or be frustrated for a moment. And even if it's just a half second or a second, that's enough for the defense to react. That's enough for the goalkeeper to come off the line and collect it, or a defender to kind of continue to make a play and kick it out for a throw-in or clear it up the pitch or whatever it might be. And in some ways, it feels like Wea is sort of planning for the chaos. He's got the tight control when he goes at players, and rather than if it is sort of miscontrolled, if it does roll in a direction he's not expecting, I think because he's sort of expecting it to be chaos, he can then adjust to it faster. And I like that idea that he is just sort of going at people, trying to make something happen. And when you have that idea of like, I'm going to try and make something happen and I'm going to try to be aggressive here in my dribble. Like, I think it just keeps that momentum going. It keeps that positivity and that self-belief. And I think that's exactly what he needed to eventually get that shooting opportunity, which he does. So credit to Tim Weah, another impressive performance. Definitely feels like he is locking down that right side of attack for the U.S. And I am okay with it. It really does feel like that. Uh, Tim Weah, expect the chaos. I'm ready for that t-shirt. Just Tim Weah, colon, (laughs) expect the chaos. That feels really good to me. I I, I liked Weah in this game. I think he was the brightest spot in the U.S.'s front three, certainly. One of the brighter performances in general from the U.S. in this game and good as well that he can get a little bit of a a respite at the end of this one. He comes off in the 72nd, 73rd minute when Zardes comes on for Ferreira and then Jordan Morris. Great to see him back for the U.S. in a competitive game, by the way. Jordan Morris comes back and he comes on for Tim Weah. So nice that Weah didn't have to go the full game. No one in the front three goes the full game. It gives Baralther some options in in uh, in in that position group for the next two games in this window. And and for the mo- most part, the second half, I have not nearly as many notes as I did in the first half, and that's not just because I switched off and was confident in the result. It just felt like the U.S. knew El Salvador are going to have to really go at us and commit numbers forward to make something happen, and chances are they aren't going to do that because they don't want to leave themselves exposed, but also maybe are feeling the fatigue or are feeling the, the conditions, and it, and it just seemed like the United States was was essentially not going to make mistakes and force El Salvador to make something happen. And when you're doing that, I think it means that you can sort of slow it down and take your time, and there wasn't nearly as much urgency after that goal goes in, which is to be expected. I do also think the way this game was called is a big part of why both the first and the second halves were sort of disjointed and it was tough for either team to get into a rhythm, especially the United States, even with the possession that they had, even with the advantage in shots. I looked it up at at full time, Joe. Uh, Let me go back to uh, the USA-Jamaica game. Uh, Had 20 total fouls, 8 for the USA, 12 for Jamaica. Uh, The USA-Costa Rica game had 21 total, 10 for the US, 11 for Costa Rica. USA-Mexico, which you would think would be this, you know, high-contact physical affair. 
Kind of was. It was the most of these three games. USA, 12 fouls. Mexico, 13 fouls. Tonight, Joe, USA, 18 fouls. El Salvador, 17 fouls. A total of 35. If you're talking about 90 minutes plus the four of extra time, or of injury time, excuse me, that's a foul about every two minutes and 45 seconds when you average it out, which feels about the way this game was. You'd get a couple minutes of action, and then a foul, and then a couple minutes of a player complaining to the ref and getting back up. No cards in this one either, so it wasn't like they were aggressive fouls not being called it was just sort of foul pick it back up a couple passes oh another foul and I think it made it hard for either team to find much of a rhythm and I think that benefited El Salvador in the first half I think that was probably part of the game plan less so in the second half because I think both teams were okay with the kind of physicality of the game Taylor that's a great pickup by you because that's also on my list of why the U.S. seemingly lost a little control in the second half and that sounds I'm trying to paint this as a very subtle thing because it really wasn't this, wow, the game was totally off the rails. The U.S. is really chasing things now. They're desperately trying to get things back under control. There was still some control, but El Salvador certainly had an uptick in possession from, I don't know, the, the 70th minute to the 80th or the 85th minute in that second half. So that stretch, about 15 minutes after the U.S. score, even earlier than that in the second half. El Salvador start to pick things up. They add some subs on the field, and they do start going for it. So that's that's part of the reason here as to why I think the U.S. lose a bit of the momentum they maybe had in the second half. Another huge part, Taylor, is exactly what you're mentioning. Fouls, the game gets slow. The game also gets a little sloppy. There's a handful of turnovers mm-hmm. from the U.S. in that stretch. There's a bad pass from Tyler Adams in buildup that isn't especially costly. The U.S. has it covered. But, it, you know, it's not a good moment to be giving the ball away, and it's not a good spot to be giving it away in your defensive third. So there's that. There's turnovers in between that sequence and the next one that I pulled out specifically in my notes. Musa turns the ball over on the near side, the left side line in the 80th minute. And then one minute later, Anthony Robinson and Musa can't connect. And it just doesn't happen, right? So there's a, a number of those sequences later on in this second half that when you add those to the fouls to El Salvador really trying and, and playing as if their World Cup qualification hopes are on the line because they, they kind of were, it did lead to a slightly more disjointed and, and a chance devoid stretch in the second half. Still good moments, still some good sequences, still some fun action with, with McKenney and Dest. But, I mean, not a ton of really consistent high-level chances in that second half outside of the goal. All right, Joe, I feel like we've knocked out a lot of things in fairly short order for us. That said, I feel like there's a decent chance we still end up going over an hour (laughs) because I do still want to talk about some individual performers, some good, some bad, some that I'm not sure if they were good or bad. Let's start with the good. Uh, Who would you say had like a just thumbs up strong performance in your opinion? Matt Turner, baby, had very, very (laughs) little to do. Yeah, He has this one save, easy save. On a free kick Uh in the 24th minute uh, off of a long free kick from El Salvador. He has what looks to me as a non-goalkeeping expert. He has the the far post covered for Alex Rodan's shot that comes after the desk turnover on the right side for the U.S. in the first half. And he has some good passes, Taylor. You know, he has some nice distribution in this game that I was really encouraged by. And maybe Mikel Arteta is encouraged by as this Arsenal deal looks like it's absolutely happening. Baralter confirms that after the game. And Mm -hmm. and Matt Turner's seen on TV signing Arsenal jerseys in Columbus. So, I mean, really (laughs) that's happening at this point. There was a lot of good moments from Matt Turner in this game. But again, didn't have that much to do. Credit to him for that stuff. Also credit to the U.S. defensively in general. I guess this is the one big picture thing that I had left to talk about. Defensively, the U.S. were almost flawless. I mentioned those couple of moments in the sixth and and I think seventh minutes in the first half where there's a little bit of a lack of communication. But outside of that, the U.S. continues the trend that they've had all throughout World Cup qualifying of being really strong defensively. They haven't given up many chances. Tyler Adams was huge in a lot of those moments, and I thought he was really, really good in this game. Outside of one or two turnovers with the ball at his feet, 
he was covering ground. Man, a couple of great counter-pressing moments inside the first five minutes. He has that long 40-yard diagonal sprint back to get involved and, and stop a play yeah. on yeah. The, the right side of the U.S.'s box, the left side of the attack for El Salvador in the first 15 minutes. He's everywhere. And this is exactly what you expect from Tyler Adams, and he brought that stuff again tonight, Taylor. He has another one in the in the first half, I believe, when there's it's a very it's like off of a set piece, I think off of a US corner or maybe just a set piece in an attacking position that El Salvador go long and and it's a it's a trickier ball than it looks because it's hit with a lot of speed and it's sort of gonna skip and there and but it, with the backspin on it though, it could have easily held up. It could have taken a weird bounce. And Adams, I think, has the pressure, but is able to kind of control it with the outside of his foot and take it away from the attacker and then get it under control. I'm with you. I thought he had a really strong performance, especially on the defensive side, but kept the ball moving. A uh, lot of communication. You could hear him pretty regularly on the uh, the field mics. Uh, so I, I liked what I heard from heard and saw from him. I agree with you on Matt Turner, especially with some of his distribution. And I mentioned him previously. I really liked some of the moments from Walker Zimmerman. I liked his performance overall, but there's two moments. Uh, one, he gets whistled for in the 17th minute for aggressively stepping and winning a 50-50. The foul is called there. The other one in the 45th minute. He sprints a good 20 to 25 yards while battling, holds off the player, wins the header, keeps the play alive for the United States. And just those sort of aggressive stepping moments I enjoy versus everybody collapse, everybody back off, and let's be conservative. I think if you want to kind of take the game to an opponent like El Salvador, who are maybe content to frustrate and and sit deeper. I think you have to kind of take the game to them, make them uncomfortable. And I think having aggressively stepping center backs is a, a good place to start. So uh, I, I had a, a positive performance overall for Zimmerman, and we already mentioned it, but Tim Weah was another one who I had uh, pretty much consistently good things to say uh, for in my notes for him. To go back to Zimmerman for just a second, when you watch him with the U.S., but you even get to see more of this with Nashville, especially when they're in a back three shape under Gary Smith. He's like the definition of organized chaos as a center back. <laughs> He'll make these runs forward. He'll just camp out in the box for a while. That even happened like a little bit in this game in the first half as well. He kind of does what he wants, but it still functions. It still looks like he's functioning within a game plan. So yeah, Taylor, I love that you highlighted those sequences from him. Another player that I thought was good and, and was really important to the U.S. in this game and trying to build some centrally for being a, a passing distributor on the right side, Weston McKinney. I don't know yep. that this was necessarily his best U.S. game. He has the the pass before the shot, before the pass, mm-hmm. before the shot on the goal. I really had to think that one through. He has some <laughs> good moments, a great feint uh, in, in ball forward after moving between the lines in the 12th minute. Has a really clever back heel flick a little later in the first half. He just has so many of those quality moments on mm-hmm. the ball where you can see this guy is bossing the game. And he had turnovers and he wasn't at his best again. I, I don't think this was peak, peak Weston McKinney. But still, it felt to me like a really strong performance from him in this one. Yeah, again, it feels like the type of performance that next game, the game after... We would hope and expect for it to continue to just get a little bit sharper, to know where the runs are going to be, to know when he can carry it forward, to know when he can try stuff. And he has the one of the first half where it felt like he maybe just like wore himself out by the end of it. But it was a couple <laughs> good little dribbles and maybe a couple little fortunate bounces. But he kept it going, kept it going. I think eventually ends up conceding a free kick trying to win the ball back. But I thought we saw the usual kind of fight and spirit from Weston McKinney. There's a little bit of a scrap in the in uh, injury time. Uh, I'm not quite sure what that was about, but I was quite sure that McKinney was uh, in there and involved. And I thought that's, I think we'll always expect from him. But then I think some of his passing vision, his control, his ability to switch the point of attack, all 
pretty solid. Oh, oh one Jer- more thing. Oh, one more ahead. thing, Taylor. I think it's the Aronson free kick in the 75th minute. So Christian Pulisic's taking the free kicks, then he comes off, Aronson comes on. Aronson picks up those duties and, and does the corners and the free kicks. Aronson serves a ball into the box, and, and El Salvador's goalkeeper, Gonzalez, comes out to get the ball, oh, and yeah. he takes a hit. And uh, Weston McKinney just decides to become a part of El Salvador's training staff and goes over and just kind of hangs out and, like, you know, <laughs> checking up on him. And just another yeah. beautiful moment from McKinney. That moment and the, the Anthony Robinson celebration were my two favorite non-open play actions, or I guess non-set piece even actions in this game. Just beautiful CONCACAF stuff that makes me think, man, these guys, these guys are ready for this stuff, Taylor. Uh, and since you added one more about Weston McKinney, I will add two, Joe. Uh, I, I tweeted this, but I enjoyed that we had Anthony Robinson, whose nickname is Jedi. Uh, Doug McIntyre tweeted out, apparently, <laughs> a quote from yeah. Anthony Robinson is that he is more comfortable being called Jedi than Anthony. So Not gonna there's lie. that. It's kind of weird, Taylor. It's kind of yeah, weird, uh, right? Uh, yeah, no arguments here. Okay, cool, no arguments cool. here. But I enjoyed uh, the TUDNA uh, commentators. Every time McKinney had the ball, or almost every time, would call him the Magician, which ah. I'm assuming is a reference to Harry Potter. Potter. So we had Jedi, we had the Magician, and then Christian Pulisic was on the broadcast, uh, Captain America. So I feel like that that triple combination is a pretty solid group to have if we're going to have <laughs> uh, some uh, like outside forces for the team. Jedi, Magician, and Captain America. My other Weston McKinney point, Joe, we've talked about it previously. 25th minute, we get the definitive Weston McKinney foul throw that yes. is never going to be called yep. as a foul throw. But man, it is just so clearly not <laughs> what you're supposed supposed to do but he keeps getting away with it so more power to him and he took his gloves off to make that throw and i don't think put them back on so uh the sacrifice of weston mckinney to remove his gloves in that in that cold weather and i don't think put them back on or maybe he did it halftime i think even if he's doing the foul throw at least he's kind of uh taking the gloves off to make it happen yeah you don't respect i respect the form i respect the hustle definitely illegal but uh who are we to say really who are we to judge i guess taylor uh, I like that you've asked that as we move into who was not so good in this game. <laughs> We're now going to judge. Joe, I want to start with a slightly harsh one, sure. and I want you to tell me if I'm being too harsh. In my who is not that great column, I have Jordan Morris, and maybe that is harsh because it's his return, and as you talked about, it's nice to see him back on the on the, on the the pitch for a competitive match. But 17 minutes, only four touches, zero passes completed. I think it would have been nice to just see him have a little bit more of an impact, but maybe that wasn't what he was asked to do. Maybe that wasn't what the U.S. was trying to do at that point. So, Joe, I have him in there just for the lack of an impact in those 17 minutes, the lack of involvement. Is that too harsh? No, I I think that's fair. Of of course, we can still weigh it as as thinking, okay, he wasn't on the field for that long. He didn't have the biggest chance to impact this game. But I don't know that he was all that effective in that 17-minute stretch. The other player that I think I'd put in a similar bucket is Brendan Aronson, Taylor. Mm -hmm. He has... He has much more of an impact, I would argue, in his time on the field, his 25 minutes or so on the field than Christian Pulisic did. So that is an upside. He was immediately, Aronson, more vertical, more direct, more purposeful, and I thought those things were good additions to the U.S.'s attack in the second half. But he didn't look dangerous on the ball. He didn't look threatening in any of those spaces. And maybe, you know, Moose has a sequence, uh, you know, five or so minutes after Aronson's come on where he's driving up the left side and he tries to play a ball in behind and he underhits it. And maybe if that ball goes through, Aronson really does cause danger in that moment. But, you know, we'll, we'll never know. He was never allowed to get on the ball in that moment. But still, in the times that Aronson had the ball at his feet, I don't think he was all that dangerous. So I would loop him and Morris into that group. Yeah. Now, I don't I don't want this to be an indictment of Berhalter's subs in this game because I actually thought Berhalter did a pretty good job managing this game. 
I th- I thought the the rationale from Greg Barathe yeah. in bringing those players Agreed. on two aggressive vertical wingers at a time when you think El Salvador, man, they mm-hmm. have to go for this. Otherwise, they are done, right? They have no shot after this if they don't get back in this game and at least get a goal. So you think they're really going to step forward and be aggressive, and they were, right? They did step forward, and they were aggressive. So you counter that by trusting your defensive line, trusting your midfield three to put in that work and cover ground, and then letting your front three still work defensively, but really run in behind and be aggressive. So the rationale I thought was good. The execution from those wingers really not so good, uh, but you know that's that is the way this goes sometimes. So I, I, I would agree with you on all that. I would also agree with you uh, that if we're saying Brendan Aronson had a sort of mixed bag of a game, I agree that you were like, it's still better than Pulisic, yeah. though. When he, uh, yeah. And Pulisic, we've talked a lot about him. One other thing I wanted to add, tweet from Joseph Samuelson. Christ, uh, Christian Pulisic lost possession on 15 of his 30 touches in the first half. That's not great, Joe. That is wow. not what we want from Pulisic. There is always going to be a little bit of license when it comes to creative players having those sort of unfavorable stats at times. But when it's 15 for 30 and not having much of an impact and at times even sort of slowing the attack down or breaking the attack up, I thought, as we've already said, just not a particularly good performance from Christian Pulisic. Taylor, what do you do on Sunday if you're Greg Berother? And I don't, I'm asking you this because mm. I don't know the answer. I, I have a leaning for me. What do you, who do you start in that left wing spot? Do you, do you start Christian Pulisic? Do you put him on the bench and bring Aronson on and, and you kind of have a cover because you can say, well, Christian Pulisic just went, you know, 65 or whatever on, on Wednesday. So we'll just save him and save his legs a little bit for this Canada game. What do you do if you're Greg Berhalter? I think you start him. I, and I think that's what I would do. But I think it's also Berhalter has shown himself to be maybe loyal is the wrong word. But I think he is not inclined to make big changes that could like break up chemistry or disrupt how things are going. And I think he's pretty big on personal relationships and sort of having some chemistry, some connectivity with the team. So if Pulisic has one off game or an off game in this one and then gets benched for the next one, I think that sort of sends the wrong message. If he has another poor game, I don't think it makes sense to shoehorn him in. But I also think I agree with you. I don't think Brendan Aronson came in and it's like he scored a goal and was like this complete difference maker. So I think Pulisic makes sense to start again. But if we, I would hope that that would be with a lot more instruction and just with a little bit more clarity of what the U.S. is trying to do in the attack when he's on the ball or how they're trying to execute when he's on the ball. That would be my hope is that there's just a not even a sizable adjustment, but like more specific instructions, more clarity and just more cohesiveness and consistency in the attack from Christian Pulisic's perspective or his influence. I'm bringing him off the bench, Taylor. I I am. I I think back. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time Christian Pulisic started and had a good performance for the U.S. men's national team? It's a good question. I don't think that's happened in World Cup qualifying. So where you're looking forward a little bit and saying, you know, Mm -hmm. if he doesn't have a good performance against Canada, okay, then maybe the Honduras game is where you change that up. I look back a little bit and think, you know, September, October, shoot, I can't even now remember if he was involved in that October window. That's entirely my bad. But he comes off the bench twice in November and has more of an impact. He scores that goal against Mexico that ices the game for the U.S. That's what I want to lean into. I think I want to start Aronson and say, this kind of is a message, right? Your form isn't good enough right now. It hasn't been all that good for, for club and it certainly hasn't been all that good for country in the starting lineup. I'm probably starting Aronson or, or, or starting Morris or Ariola or, or someone on that side. I hope way is good to go for another 65, 75, 85, 90 minutes on the right wing and you bring Pulisic off the bench. It's not an easy decision to make, but after watching him in this game, I, I feel like it's a decision that kind of needs to be made. 
I think those are all fair points. I think the only other thing that would factor into my decision-making sure. if I were Burhalter, but I don't know if it will factor into Burhalter's, is just the optics. And if the U.S. goes away to Canada, draws, or loses that game, and Pulisic is on the bench, I think it's just an immediate target. It's an immediate thing you're going to get hit for. And even if it's the correct decision, even if everything you've said, Joe, points to, yeah, you got to light a fire, you got to change things up. I think it's just such a a lazy media narrative of like, oh, they lost and he didn't even have Pulisic on the bench. How do you not start that guy? Like, it's ridiculous. Like, that's the thing that I could see on PTI from two people who haven't really paid. <laughs> I assume PTI still exists. But from like two guys who haven't really watched a ton of soccer just being like, what? You don't start that guy? What's wrong with you? And and I think not that Berhalter cares about that, but there is that sort of you start your stars mentality, I think, a lot of the time when it comes to these big games. So that would be the other reason why maybe we, we do still see Chris Christian Pulisic, but I kind of at this point won't I won't be upset either way. It's a little bit like Ferreira and Pepe, where it's like, yeah, I, I would maybe rather see Pepe uh, in 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 the game. But yeah, Ferreira's I'm sure going to bring different things, and they've been working on stuff in training against Canada. I hope we see Pepe against Canada. I don't mind if it's Pulisic. I don't mind if it's Aronson. Regardless, I just want it to be a tighter performance from whomever it is. Uh, so yeah, I think I think we'll see what happens with Pulisic. I think we would assume that Sergio Dest would still uh, start against Canada, but he's another one, Joe, who. I thought was fine, but I think in my notes I have more sort of negative moments that stood out to me. Yeah, I'll I'll even apply that to Anton Robinson as well. I thought the fullbacks yeah. had similar games. They approached the game very differently. Yeah. Des brought the sauce tonight. Man, he was doing all sorts of stuff. But there's also this this idea with both him and Anthony Robinson where there's wasteful crosses. And I think that's a byproduct of how El Salvador yeah. defended. It's a byproduct of the lack of movement we've already discussed for the U.S. So I'm not placing all the blame on those guys. But yeah, the, the crossing at times from the U.S., not even put this a bit on Wea as well, wasn't as sharp as you would want it to be for a really top, top, top tier U.S. performance. And so for that reason, I think there is room to improve from Dest and, and Robinson in a game like this. And it feels weird because Robinson has the goal. And, and I think... At full time, I was just like, oh, Anthony Robinson saves us again. He's so important. He's such a great attacking fullback. And and he is. But at the same time, I agree with you that his crossing, the numbers weren't as good as I expected. Even I think he had the worst passing percentage of any starter. The only American player, to my memory, that had a worse passing percentage than him was Brendan Aronson. Uh, so I, I feel like with the number of times he was on the ball, the number of crosses he did play in, and the number of those crosses that were cut out by the first defender or failed to find a U.S. player, crossing can always be a little bit of a roll of the dice. Uh, but on the evening, I would have loved maybe if just a couple more came off or a couple more runs ended in clear-cut opportunities. So I still think it was like it was a overall a, a positive performance yeah. from uh, Robinson, but it was it was sort of like thumbs in the middle more than I expected, and that's the same for Dest, who I thought had some just some. Not as tight uh, control as we would have liked to see. Not as tight dribbles. And on a couple occasions, there's the one that leads to that shooting opportunity for Alex Roldan. That is, uh, it's it's not even, I think it's, I forget who it is who actually gives the ball away. Or maybe it's Zimmerman with a pass that gets cut out. But it leads to a 50-50. And Dest does that thing we see players do all the time, which is they step between the opponent and the ball. They kind of try to make themselves as wide as they can. And they assume that that will be enough. That is, there is contact. It's going to be to the back. They're going to get knocked over. It's going to be a free kick. Otherwise, they're going to have possession. But uh, I forget which uh, Salvadorian player it is, but he just sort of faints left and then steps right and pushes Dest out of his way at the exact same time. 
And you can see Des just sort of like, that's a foul, right? <laughs> Knowing it's not. And in that, and in that moment, El Salvador are away. And I just, like, there were just inconsistencies to the performance from both fullbacks, I agree, Joe, that I think, uh, against, uh, a stronger opponent like Canada could be a problem. So that's another one where I hope it's just a little bit of tinkering between now and then. And it wouldn't surprise me, to be honest, Taylor, if we saw someone else start it right back against Canada. It wouldn't surprise me if it's mm. Canada. It wouldn't surprise me if it's Yedlin. I, I don't expect it will be Brooks Lennon. But Robinson, I think, will still start because there's no other natural left back in this squad, which is weird, and we've talked about that before. But at mm-hmm. right back, maybe you save Dest and let him try to clown Honduras a little bit on that right side, and, and you take somebody... <laughs> Else for that Canada game, I don't know exactly what I would do if I'm Greg Berhalter. I feel more confident if I'm Berhalter in, in, in benching Pulisic than I do in benching Dest, just based yeah. off of their performances in this game. But it would not surprise me if we saw some rotation in that spot for Sunday. Uh, my my guess for Sunday is that we will see pretty much the exact same starting eleven. I think it will be Pepe in for Ferreira, and then I think it's it's pretty much the same team. Speaking of Ferreira, Joe, he is the last player that I wanted to get your thoughts on. We've talked about him at various points in this episode, but I think it, it's really strange to me because after at full time and even on the rewatch, I came away thinking like it was a pretty good game from him. And again, you look online and it is a very mixed bag of some, yeah, positive performance, good hold up play, good work on the ball, created some chances, and a lot of he was the worst performer, we have no number nine, he can't play for this team, he's not good enough. And I feel like that is that is far too harsh. I think a lot of that is focused on the opportunity that he knocks over, that he should have taken better. Maybe there's a couple other moments that he could have done more with, Joe, but I think overall, I was pretty okay with everything I saw from Ferreira, how say you? Yep, I say exactly what you say. Unfortunate, right. he doesn't get the goal, right? You hope one of those shots he has results in a goal. You you want to get something like that from your front line. But I was encouraged by his link-up play. Baralter talked about that after the game. I thought he had some good sequences there. I was really encouraged by his defensive work. He was active. He was hard running. I thought there was a lot of good stuff there. The biggest thing that I think there's room for him to improve is is less of his movement after he he combines and, and has dropped off and, and moved the ball in midfield and then getting back to the box. I'm thinking less about those sequences and more about just his movement once he's arrived in the box. Like it, when, in, the, in the sequences where he's playing less yeah. as a false nine and more of just a regular nine where he's occupying those classic nine spaces, there was a, a number of sequences in this game. We've already detailed some of them when we talked about the poor movement in the final third from the U.S., there's a number of sequences where Ferreira, I think, is the culprit for that. And we've hit on that already, so we don't really need to go back to that. But that's the one thing that I think I want to see him improve on. And I'm hoping we'll see him improve on that for Dallas this year under Nico Estevez. I'm hoping that he'll get some more looks for the U.S. Because I liked a lot of what I saw, again, from him in this game. But that's the one thing. Outside of the finishing, which, you know, it happens. Soccer happens. That stuff happens. I, w- I would like to see him refine that part of his game, Taylor. I, I agree entirely, and I think that is a, a youth thing in my mind because I think of a striker like Robert Lewandowski or Kareem Benzema, like attackers who can do lots of different things but do all of them very, very well. And Lewandowski, I think, can drop more into midfield to link up play to lay it off and then spin off and try to make a run in behind, but he can also stretch the defense, lead that line, get on the end of a cross, make something happen. Oh, there's a block shot, but he's there to pounce on it. He has lots of different skills that he's able to switch on as needed, and I think for Ferreira, my guess would be, my assumption would be for a younger player who's so focused on 
We, we've done a good job of avoiding saying false nine in this episode. We have. Joe. I think I'm I just said it for the that. first time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, but if you're so focused on where do I need to be to facilitate attacking play, to pull defenders out or to be in the midfield, to let other players run in behind, if you're focused on all of those responsibilities, I can see a scenario in which it's harder to be focused on in that moment. Oh, the cross is coming in. I've got to snap to and adjust to it. And that's something I think world-class strikers are able to do is kind of be switched on to every moment. I think as Ferreira gets more games, gets more minutes at the professional level, I think we'll see him be better at those things, or at least I very much hope we will. But for now, I'm with you that I think some of those moments in the box, some of that decision-making could just be more switched on, a little bit sharper, and I think it will make the difference down the road. That would be my hope. But overall, still a positive for Jesus Ferreira. Still very much a positive for the United States. I started at a B overall, Joe. I think you've moved me to a B plus. I think this conversation has made me feel pretty optimistic, and I think that's because any time we can sort of come to an understanding about what wasn't working or why it wasn't working. When there is a problem, we look at it, we identify potential reasons for that problem and potential solutions. There is a linear, like there's a linear thought process that I'm very comfortable with. If there's a plan for how to address it, or even, even if it's just you and me talking it out, if we can understand what wasn't working, why it wasn't working and how it can work better next time, to me, that is a very clear opportunity for growth. If we yep. came away from this one with that, which we have at times with the U.S. under Berhalter, been like, I think it was good. Maybe if they do this, maybe it needs to be that. That wasn't quite where, like, when we come away with a lot of different question marks, that's when I feel sort of untethered, and I don't like that. Unmoored is maybe a better one. Uh, and I don't have that feeling here. Here, I feel like it's a win. It's three points. Uh, still very much in the automatic spots. Still bummed that Mexico managed to get the win uh, away to Jamaica. Trailing 1-0 for most of the game. End up winning 2-1. to one. Canada with the win as well. But the United States get, get the three points they needed, and I think we can see areas for improvement, but those areas for improvement are very much attainable in my mind. I want to go back to what you're talking about, Taylor, in just one second. But I think the most important result outside of this U.S. result for the U.S. isn't the Mexico result, which was a tough one for Jamaica, certainly. Isn't the Canada result. It's the Panama, Ah. Costa Rica result. Panama Mm. lose to Costa Rica tonight on Thursday as we're recording. They lose 1-0 in Costa Rica. Panama's in fourth right now, and they're still in fourth. They were before this this, uh, match day started. But them dropping points is huge. This battle for the U.S. right now is less about, you know, finishing top four and hoping to be in that that intercontinental playoff spot, that fourth spot. It's more about them trying to put distance between the top three, Mexico, Canada, and the U.S., putting mm-hmm. distance between themselves and Panama in fourth. And that's exactly what happened tonight. So it would have been ideal for the U.S. if Mexico and Canada had all dropped points, probably. But Panama dropping points to Costa Rica is big for the U.S. So there's now a four-point gap, more than a one-game gap between the U.S. and Panama. Yeah. And that's big. So that's the first thing. So overall, a good night in CONCACAF for the United States, I would argue. The other thing, Taylor, is I'm still with you. I still think this is a good performance from the U.S. We, we nitpicked a lot. On this show, we nitpicked and tried to figure out, okay, why why wasn't this quite as satisfying as a performance as the XG might indicate, as the the shots would indicate? And I think we got to a lot of those things: the play out wide, the lack of movement in the in the final third, things like that. Those are the kind of things that take a, a 90th percentile performance to a 95th or 97th percentile performance, right? I think this was a good performance in the U.S. I think they played well and did a lot of things really well. You could see the identity. The pressing shape was there. The attacking shape was there. Even if it was a little wonky in the first half and Christian Pulisic caused some problems, all those things we talked about. But overall, I, I still think a lot of the boxes were checked. The performance was good enough to get the three points. It was probably good enough to get another goal or two. 
man, it's hard for me to find a lot of major, massive, systemic issues with the U.S. in this game. And that's not something we've always been able to say about them in this World Cup qualifying cycle and over the last couple of months. So with all that being said, yeah, I'm sticking with B plus A minus despite the amount of of nitpicking that we did. Uh, uh, There's... Too long didn't read TLDR. I'm doing too long didn't listen uh, TLDL. <laughs> uh, if you need that one, uh, just before we started recording, Joe, my uncle texted me uh, upon reaching full time. Good, not pretty. That was his summary to which I responded. We're about to record a show that will likely be over an hour long and will pretty much say exactly <laughs> what you just said. And that is where I think we landed, Joe. Good, not pretty, but good. I'll add the second but good to it. Joe Lowry, anything else to add about the USA's 1-0 win over El Salvador in World Cup qualifying? Not about that, but about the Canada game on Sunday. For listeners Talk about out it, Joe. there, Talk for about listeners it. out there, Taylor and I will be doing a pre- and post-game show live. You'll see our faces. It's video and audio in the Bleacher Report app. We'll continue to push that on Twitter. We'll get a link for all of you fine folks out there. Come watch us. Come ask us questions. You can ask questions in the BR app. We did these back in November. We had a ton of fun. We did one with Ryan and Graham about the January transfer window earlier this month. Had a blast doing that as well. Come watch. It's fun. We have a good time. I think you guys will too. BR show Sunday, 30 minutes. Uh, It'll be right after the lineup drops on Sunday and then immediately after the full-time whistle. That's the end of my Bleacher Report. Taylor, Joe, Canada, U.S. Men's National Team (laughs) spiel. I like it, man. I like it. And it's a pre-Quick Take Hot Take in the sense that we're doing the preview show. And then it is the the Quick Take Hot Take is that sort of post-game show. We I think there are some questions peppered in there as well, but it's a nice sort of instant reaction thing for Joe and I to do. Then we rewatch, and then we'll have the full review show out that evening. But for now, Joe Lowry, thank you very much for taking all the time to talk to me about the USA's win, feeling good, uh, and Burhalter had some fly kicks on, so I'm guessing Graham uh, Ruffin was pleased as well. <laughs> Taylor, right back at you. This was fun. Listeners, thanks so much for listening. We'll have an episode of Allocation Disorder for you tomorrow. I believe it will be Paul, and I believe it will be Sam, and I believe they will be talking about this very game as well. They are there in person, so they'll probably have some on-the-ground analysis and insight for you, and probably some uh, random jokes along the way, as is their brand. But for now, we'll talk to you very soon. <laughs>